coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. All right, happy Tuesday to you. The end of my show today, I'm going to punctuate with a bit of a eulogy. Uh, a dear friend of mine passing away uh, last night. And I hate to bring the show to a climax with that, but I really feel like this friend of mine deserves the honor. And honestly, it's just good to get some of the sorrow off my chest. Uh, so we're watching as the Republican Party in Washington continues to screw the pooch. Now, Kevin McCarthy would have you believe. In fact, on Fox News earlier today, he implored a, a gaggle of media folks to believe, have them believe or to pass along the word to you so that you'll believe that the inability for the House of Representatives, controlled by a slim majority of the Republican Party, well, I'm sorry, that the House of Representatives is controlled by a slim majority that is the Republican Party. <laughs> That's how I should have said it. But that their inability to coalesce behind one voice for Speaker of the House, who would be a conservative from that party, is somehow caused by the Democrats. It's their fault. It's their fault. It's Democrats' fault that Republicans can't coalesce behind one person to outnumber the Democrats, who are a slim minority of the House of Representatives. Anyway, listen to what he had to say today. Now we have rules. We don't have to be stuck on the floor. The interesting part is why we're here. Every single Democrat voted to stop one branch of government. They created this mess with eight Republicans. Every single Democrat did it. And so I think what we'll do is we'll go sit down. Uh, we'll talk to those that have difference of opinion and, and come back. Did the margin surprise you? Did the margin surprise you? You feel bad for Mr. Do you feel bad right now for Mr. Jordan, you threw his for him. Do you feel bad for him? No, no. Don't over <laughs> read into this. This is a, about the same vote I had on my first vote out. Um, I were in the. Well, no, 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 no. no let, let's go back to how I got here. We wouldn't be here if every single Democrat didn't vote with eight Republicans to shut this place down. That's it. No, what, Republicans voted against Jim Jordan today on the floor, including two votes from somebody who's not even a member anymore. Every single Democrat and eight Republicans voted to shut down one branch of government. That is why we're here today. There's no other reason why we're here today but because of that. Now, now we had a vote on the floor. It didn't get to the whole point. Now we'll take a break, talk to people, and come back and solve it. So how long? Is this going to be today? Yeah, he doesn't have an answer for that either. Uh, sorry. You know, Kevin McCarthy needs to be reminded that um, Democrats in lockstep voted no on his rule change to allow one member to bring a motion to fire him. He seems to forget that. That's right. It was Democrats that all voted no on his own rule change to allow just one member to bring a motion to fire the Speaker of the House. See, he had to give the Matt Gates and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Lauren Bober types. He had to give them that nugget. He had to give them that power, that ability to win the speakership in the first place. That's not on anybody but him. Democrats voted consistent with their belief that Congressman Hakeem Jeffries is best suited to be Speaker of the House. And if the roles were reversed... 
Are we trying to pretend that Republicans wouldn't do the same damn thing to Nancy Pelosi? I mean, do we need to go back and look at all the times they sought to uh, impeach President Obama with the votes that they had, knowing full well that it wasn't going to get anywhere, but they had to make that show, what is it, like six dozen damn times? How many times did Republicans cross the aisle to vote for Nancy Pelosi as Speaker of the House? Come on. McCarthy also has this inability to understand what happened is why he's no longer Speaker of the House. Never mind the fact that he offered Democrats nothing to try and woo any people over. Nothing. Just, well, if you don't save me, then you're going to let my party put the stick in their own bike spoke and fall over and hit the ground and scrape their knee, and they're going to be mad at you for doing that. Wait, what? So they've coalesced behind Jim Jordan, the ex-Ohio State University assistant wrestling coach who has been accused by many, including wrestlers, of ignoring sexual abuse within that program. The same Jim Jordan who was subpoenaed to testify before the January 6th commission. You know, the insurrection. And he refused to testify. He thumbed his nose at the very legislative body that his party, or a majority of his party, believes he should now be at the helm of. Make that make sense. It's actually on that note that I'm going to give you the voice of, dare I say it, a sane conservative Republican in the House of Representatives who was on CNN earlier. Listen to Ken Buck from Colorado. Is this too much to ask? Home. You're a very conservative Republican. It's very important to you that whoever is the next Speaker of the House acknowledge the fact that Joe Biden won the presidency. That's just a fact that he did, and you want the next Speaker to acknowledge that. I, I want the next Speaker to acknowledge that. I also want to make sure that we don't have somebody who was involved in the activities mm. uh, surrounding January 6th. Mm. And I think that if we have a presidential candidate who uh, right now is leading, who denies that the that he lost the election um, and was uh, obviously behind what happened on January 6th, and we have a Speaker in a similar situation, we have 20 Republicans sitting in Joe Biden districts right now, by districts that Joe Biden won in 2020, and those 20 Republicans are going to be at risk. There's no way we win the majority if the message we send to the American people is that we believe that the uh, election uh, was, was stolen and we believe that uh, January 6th was okay. It was a tour of the Capitol. Y'all, holy f***ing I was sitting here nodding my head the entire time a devout conservative Republican was talking on CNN. But here's the thing. I don't just kind of like this Ken Buck guy, a conservative Republican from Colorado. Let me remind you. I think I actually want to hang out with this Ken Buck. Here he was earlier again on CNN, and Dana Bash had to point out the fact that he voted for someone not named Jim Jordan, and then here's why. This is hilarious. I like this guy. Oh, he did not vote for Congressman Jim Jordan, instead voting for Tom Emmer. Well, I guess my first question is, do you really want Tom Emmer to be speaker? No, I don't. I don't like Tom Emmer. I figured this would be the worst job in America. Mike Rowe would not want to do this for his TV show. This is so, a terrible job. Okay, so just to underscore that, you voted for somebody because you don't like them. I, I voted for somebody because I wasn't going to vote for Jim. Yeah. Jordan. 
He voted for a guy because he doesn't like the guy. He not not just that he doesn't like Tom Emmer. He of course loathes the thought of Jim Jordan being Speaker of the House. So he threw another dude under the. You know what? This job sucks so much. I hope you get it. I I think I want to hang out with Ken Buck. But you know what would be wild? Like all of this theater the last couple of weeks, what might actually happen? I, I mean, I'm I'm starting to think this actually happens more than I think it doesn't now. Uh, Congressman Mike McCall on CNN earlier was asked who he thinks will be the Speaker of the House. Listen to this theory and don't blow it off. Do you think, is your assessment then that you think kind of this paralysis ends today, a speakerless house will be mm-hmm. over today? You know, I don't have a crystal ball. I, I, I was um, disappointed that Kevin McCarthy got ousted. I thought Kevin was doing a very good job managing all the various factions. I, <laughs> I, uh, um, I, right now the vote count uh, doesn't look um, entirely promising, but I think... Uh, <laughs> I think Jim Jordan's going to make you know put this into several rounds on the floor. He's very tenacious, um, so that remains to be seen. And and if it doesn't work, then we're kind of back to, all right, maybe we got to look at Kevin McCarthy again. That's right. Maybe they need to look at Kevin McCarthy again. And maybe that's a good idea for Republicans. But here's what I wouldn't do: I wouldn't go to Kevin McCarthy and say. Hey, uh, I need your help predicting something. Can you predict something for me? And like, if I wanted to put money on it, <laughs> he was on the Fox Business Channel this morning. And if you had to put money on Jim Jordan on the first ballot, you'd have lost money. But Kevin McCarthy did say, "My prediction is Jim will win this, and even on the first round of votes." Uh, but you got to understand, why do we have this chaos? Oh, it's because Matt Gates and seven other Republicans joined with every single Democrat uh, to take out the Republican Speaker. Can you imagine that, Sean, no. joining with every single Democrat to try to take out the speaker and created this chaos simply for the fact that I believe to this day, and I will go down and believe it's the right decision. Our troops are sitting in, in the Mediterranean right now. They, their family just got paid. And could you imagine if we followed Matt Gates and not made sure that our troops were being paid, okay. that we're asking him to defend this country okay while they're wondering if their loved ones are going to be able to pay the car payment or pay their rent or their house payment. Hang on a second. First of all, um, if they're in the Middle East, they're not over there defending this country. They're over there defending another country. What's so crazy is when he has a guest segment on... Was it it Fox Business? Was this Fox Business? Yeah, it was Fox Business. When he was given a guest segment on Fox Business, he was giving the Fox Business audience the... Well, this is Matt Gates and those seven other Republicans for getting with those icky Democrats. And then when he was at the press gaggle earlier or later in the day in the halls of the House of Representatives, he wanted to pin the blame on Democrats for doing this. I honestly don't know what to make of that. Like earlier in the morning, he's predicting Jim Jordan's going to win on the first ballot, but this is Matt Gates and those seven other Republicans' fault. And he points out why. And he's kind of right. Pains me to say that. But then later in the days, he's frustrated by this paralysis, this inability for the GOP to coalesce behind one person, even when it's icky Jim Jordan. Uh, he then wants to pivot and say, well, this is actually the Democrats' fault. They did this to us. Oh, hang on. Let me let him finish throwing barbs at Matt Gates and the company there. 
I thought that was wrong, but that's the direction Matt Gates wanted to take us. So he joined all the Democrats to bring us this chaos with no plan in place. And I'm telling you, it harms us, as you know, Sean, having won a seat that a Democrat had, having helped us win the majority and how tough it is to. And think of this. Matt Gates provides the same amount of money to the NRCC, our political arm, that Nancy Pelosi provides. Ooh. I've said it before. I will say it again. Republicans can't be on the same page with themselves. They can't be civil politically with themselves. They can't govern when they have control with just themselves. And it's the Democrats that are the problem. They and their pundits in the media would have you believe. I'm just trying to understand how the American people haven't made a clear delineation between the skilled acrobats under the big tent and the clowns. Back after this, The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to The Ron Show for Tuesday. So here's a headline, a big bloated headline. Associated Press, Georgia's cash hoard approaches $11 billion after a third year of big surpluses. And this is written by uh, Jeff Amy. Here goes the article. The state of Georgia now has $10.7 billion in surplus cash that its leaders can spend however they want after the state ran a huge surplus for the third straight year. The state accounting office in a Monday report said Georgia ran a $5.3 billion surplus in the 2022 budget year that ended June 30th, even after spending $32.6 billion. Next paragraph. Total state general fund receipts rose about $1 billion, or 3%. But because Governor Brian Kemp has kept budgeting spending well below prior year revenues, the amount of surplus cash at the end of each year keeps rising. The state has other reserves as well, including a rainy day fund filled to the legal limit of $5.4 billion and a lottery reserve fund that it now tops $2.1 billion, all told Georgia had about $18.5 billion in cash reserves by June 30th, an amount equal to more than half of their projected state spending for the current budget year. What worries me about this, honestly, is that as Brian Kemp, the current governor, approaches the year 2026, when his gubernatorial cycle must come to an end because he'll be term limited out and he's eyeing a Senate run, Is he just going to say, okay, we're just going to offer a huge, huge tax cut? He could conceivably, you would think, give all of the state of Georgia a year of a personal income tax holiday, a corporate income tax holiday as well, and of course, wipe out that entire reserve. I mean, he won't do that. But do not be surprised if a huge tax cut comes around the year 2025, especially if the GOP continues to hold the General Assembly. And I know what you're thinking, Ron, why does that sound like a bad idea? I mean, it doesn't sound like a terrible idea for you or me. It just sounds like a terrible idea for the state of Georgia. There are projects that this state needs to put better funds behind. I mean, just off the top of my head, expanding Medicaid to cover Georgians with incomes below 138% of the poverty line would cost the state of Georgia a mere $350 million over the next decade. While, by the way, accounting for $1.75 billion 
in new revenue. We would actually be adding to the surplus by expending a mere $350 million of the $11 billion that's just sitting there growing. You could put some of that surplus money towards, I don't know, a high-speed rail project. There were estimates done that would connect Charlotte to Atlanta via high-speed rail. And the estimates then were, uh, this was 2019, so the numbers are probably different. The estimate, and, and by the way, you're going through three states here to do this, Atlanta to Charlotte, $15.4 billion back in 2019. Obviously, inflation changes that. But if you start connecting cities in the state of Georgia via high-speed rail, you might sensibly start connecting by Atlanta, Athens. Atlanta-Macon, Atlanta-Marietta to Kennesaw, up to Chattanooga. We kind of have a big airport here in Atlanta, a major airport, and we continue to add lanes and gridlock to our interstates that could be alleviated by... And, and here I am again trying to save us money. The GDOT might save some money if we start expanding on the idea of high-speed rail connecting these outlying cities. And I'm not just saying making to Atlanta, making through all the cities between here and Atlanta to the airport. Athens through Gwinnett into DeKalb, into Atlanta. Connecting us to Chattanooga, again, connects Marietta and Kennesaw, Cartersville. It sounds fancy, right? But when you've got 11.7 billion dollars sitting in reserves. The inclination of the modern Republican is, well, let's just cut taxes. I mean, listen, I love a little break on the taxes from time to time, but I also love the idea of saying, you know what, I think I want to go check out the Georgia game today, but I really don't want to fight the gridlock. And I'm going to hop on the rail to go check that game out. Or if a Clayton County high school graduate gets accepted to Kennesaw State, Instead of having to worry about housing and a vehicle and a part-time job, they'll just have that high-speed rail that takes them to Kennesaw State. Is that not good for Kennesaw? I mean, we just have this project, this this project that rolled out that the governor announced here a few weeks ago, where students are going to get automatically accepted into state colleges and universities, and would not a high-speed rail network actually benefit those students and give them the opportunity to live just about anywhere in the state? while getting to and from class? How is this not a good idea? I'm trying to understand here. You have then set the plan in place to connect Savannah to Macon, to Atlanta. You've connected Athens. Why not go from Athens to Augusta? Or maybe just Augusta straight through to Atlanta, going through Greensboro and Madison. I mean, we're building quite a little network here, right? You could go from Macon to Valdosta. You could go from Valdosta to Albany to Columbus, from Columbus up to Atlanta. You've got a network, and you're just about able to get anywhere in the state using high-speed rail and not your interstate highways that are just clogged beyond belief in Henry County, Clayton County, through Fulton County, out to DeKalb and Rockdale County, out to Douglas County, up to Cobb County, and up into, again, Paulding, 
way past Paulding into Cartersville. My God, y'all, this is such a good idea. It, the, the, it's just staring us in the face as that $11.7 billion surplus is as well. And instead, we're going to get another pitch for school vouchers to underfund our public education. And we're going to get tax breaks so that we can have that money set aside to spend on new tires for the car that we have to have good tires for to drive and sit in gridlock to get to and from the jobs that we don't have the mass transit for instead. For the life of me, y'all, I will never understand how it is in 2023. I'm even looking at Florida for crying out loud. A GOP state. Florida has Brightline, and I think that's a public-private partnership. I'd have to do a little digging. But Georgia, we have the money to start doing this stuff for ourselves. Why are we not pushing our politicians to do it? Maybe now's the start. More Ron Show after this. On the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or every podcast. Call or text The Ron Show anytime at 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Why is it I'm so drawn to Irish politicians all of a sudden? Well, let me let you have a little taste of Paul Murphy. What is happening right now is barbarous, is savagery, is murder. And, and it's important we don't just use that language for stuff that some Palestinians have done, but that we use it for the U.S.-made and donated bombs that are being rained down on the people of Gaza right now and understand that the cause of what we've seen over the last number of days is the occupation, is an apartheid state that consciously discriminates against Palestinians, is a policy of ethnic cleansing. That's, that's the root cause of this, and the answer is an end to the occupation. That's, it's just important to emphasize that and to recognize that, unfortunately, like I, I, I wish that the barbarism of Israel being carried out now will result in international support melting away. But it hasn't over the past 20 years. I mean, you've had 6,500 Palestinians killed. Over 95% of casualties in this conflict have been Palestinians. In March 2018, when you had a peaceful march, Palestinians peacefully marching to these borders, they were, they were mowed down in their hundreds. And it didn't change. The U.S. continued to give $3 billion, $4 billion a year in military aid because it serves their interests in the region. What about the points that uh, Leo Radker made today? He said Israel does have a right to defend itself, but that solidarity could fall apart if Israel go too far. But I think, does Leo Radker not think that Israel have gone too far? I mean, Israel is already committing war crimes. It is a war right crime. But, but, but it's, <clears throat> they're not defending yourself by starving the people of Gaza. That's, that's what they've openly declared that they're doing. That is a war crime under the Geneva Convention. I mean, I've been to Gaza. It, it is so incredibly densely packed, so incredibly poor, mm. so scarred by war. Mm. And the consequence of that is when Israel says, oh, anywhere where Hamas is will reduce to ashes, that means all of Gaza. That's, that's 100% what they're saying. And they justify, they say, we're targeting Hamas. They're not targeting Hamas. They're hitting residential buildings. Netanyahu said, you should, you should leave Gaza. People tried to leave the only way they can at the Rafah crossing, and then they bombed the Rafah crossing. They did. They even bombed a hospital today. Hundreds feared dead at a hospital. If you're wondering, by the way, who Paul Murphy is, he's an Irish people-before-profit solidarity politician. He also served as a member of the European Parliament for the Dublin constituency 
from 2011 to 2014, previously a member of the Socialist Party in Solidarity, but left in September of 2019, according to Wikipedia, to form a new party. In February 2021, that party, Rise, joined People Before Profit as a network, and Murphy became what is called a Tichta Dala, or a TD. It's the equivalent, basically, of a member of parliament, or what we would call like a member of Congress in our house. He's not the only one. How about Richard Boyd Barrett? The Israeli government have brazenly, publicly, and openly declared their intention to commit a war crime and have commenced that war crime against the people of Gaza, saying that they intend to starve of food, electricity, water, 2.2 million people. They are raining down thousands of the most sophisticated missiles known to humanity onto the most densely populated area in the world, carrying the certainty that almost every missile will incur civilian casualties. And you try to suggest there is some symmetry, some equivalence between the actions of Hamas and what Israel has been doing to the Palestinians for decades. And every single loss of life is terrible. But is the failure of the United States, of the European Union, of the Western powers Thank to you. hold to account Israel for ongoing decades-long ethnic cleansing, war crimes, crimes against humanity, uh, the denial of the most basic rights to the Palestinian people? That is Richard Boyd Barrett. He, as well, a member of the Irish People Before Profit Solidarity Party and also a uh, Teach the Dalla, I hope I'm saying that right, a TD uh, in their, uh, their, their, essentially their parliament, their Congress. Man, these Irish guys be spitting, right? Then I know, I, 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 every time I crack the mic and start talking about this conflict, I run the risk of being labeled an anti-Semite, I'm not. I, in fact, have had a Jewish American guest on this show. I believe the Monday after, was it the Monday after? Or the, days after the Hamas attack. The attack was gruesome, bloody, murderous, disgusting. I will not deny it. I will not be one of those people who try and spin this to say that well, did they really behead the baby? I don't, does it matter if, if, if children, infants were, were killed, pregnant women, tortured, mutilated, killed? I'm not going to defend Hamas. And there's no defense for Hamas. But I'm also not going to cast a blind eye towards just the utter irony of what's taken place in the Middle East, for more than 100 years, it was 1917 that some guy from Britain decided, you know what, we need to make a pact that this should be a Jewish state. Yeah, it was the Balfour Declaration that resulted in a significant upheaval in the lives of Palestinians. This declaration, issued in November 2nd, 1917, turned the Zionist aim of establishing a Jewish state in Palestine into a reality when British publicly pledged to establish, quote, a national home for the Jewish people there. Never mind the fact that there were quite a few Palestinians there already. And this was well before 
World War II, the lead up to World War II, the Holocaust in general, repugnant era in European history and in U.S. history too for sort of casting a, you know, little blind eye. Let's put our hand up. We don't see that to keep us out of any involvement in that growing war theater. And I can't help but think that there seems to be this near uh, half century or more longer appeasement, actually more, yeah, nearly 75-year appeasement of the wrongs done by the then-German nation, the Nazi party, and the quiet complicity of all those who did not stand up to stop the Holocaust from happening, including the United States, who tried to be pacifist until Japan dragged us into World War II on the Pacific front. And then, of course, we engaged on the European front as well. It just seems as if there's been this near eight-decade-long movement now to try and make up for an egregious wrong by allowing for more egregious wrongs. Even The Daily Show last night, which thankfully is back, The Daily Show rolled out last night, and they dived right on into what this skirmish is all about. And essentially, it's Britain. Michael Koska is the guest host this week, and here he dives into the headlines. Obviously, there's one big story in the world right now that we have to cover, the Taylor Swift movie. Uh And we'll get to that later. But first, I want to talk about something that stirs up almost as much passion, the Middle East. That's right. It's my big week as guest host, and I get Israel-Palestine. I don't mean to complain, but as far as scheduling goes, this unspeakably tragic geopolitical crisis is not super convenient time for me right now. Right. Because no matter what I come up with, people are just going to say, this guy doesn't know what the f*** he's talking about. (laughs) And you're right. That's pretty much the only opinion everyone can agree on. Michael Costa is an idiot. And (laughs) what do I know about the Middle East? Actually, what do any of us know about the Middle East until you start diving in and doing some research? Stop listening to your talk radio. Even me. I mean, seriously, do your research. I think when you learn more and you know more about this conflict you'll come to the same conclusion. Violation of human rights is a violation of human rights. Two wrongs don't make a right. Uh, Let me let Michael continue, though, because he he gets to the British part. I'm from the Middle West. (laughs) I'm from Michigan. The best way I would describe my position on the Middle East is poorly educated. And that sounds harsh, but at least I'm aware of it. Right. Because I read a lot of your posts online, and sometimes it's better not to pretend you know what you're talking about. I have friends on Facebook who have the whole Middle East figured out, when I know for a fact they can't even get car insurance. (laughs) Hey, Joey, interesting points. Don't you have three DUIs? Maybe you should focus on you. Thankfully, this is why later tonight, I will bring on an actual expert, political scientist, Ian Bremmer, will be here to help us make sense of all of And I'll get you a clip of that in today's show notes, by the way. But here's what I'll say for now. There's a cycle of violence here that feels like it's never ending. 
It's been going on my whole life, and apparently even longer than that. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who wishes that this cycle would end. And everyone has an opinion for who's responsible for it. It's Israel, it's Palestine, it's Netanyahu, it's Hamas. Everyone's taking a side, but everyone is wrong. Because I spent the weekend reading two lengthy Wikipedia articles, <laughs> and I think it's pretty clear who we can blame for all of this mess. Here it comes. The British. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Not funny. We're laughing. We're, we're clapping here. Yes. And your nursing home king. <laughs> They're the ones who barged into the Middle East 100 years ago and drew the borders that caused all this mess. And yep. they did it all around the world, by the way. Like, how much of modern civilization is just undoing all of Britain's bad decisions? You no, no, no. He's right. Up maps. They made Ireland two Irelands. <laughs> it's an island. It didn't need borders. But the, the British were like, hey, you go. And maybe that's why we've got these angry Irish politicians. That, I know, I'm just I'm kidding. But, you know, the, 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 uh, the Iraq war, the, the, the faction in Iraq that the current president of the United States, Joe Biden, at the time, I thought had the best solution for how to deal with Iraq now that we've broken and we bought it back in the early 2000s. Iraq should probably be three different countries because you've got three different sects of uh, Islam all having to be forced together by lines written by Britain. Okay, Michael Costa continues. So maybe that's the best way we can find peace. Israel and Palestine, it's time to put your grievances aside and join together to invade Britain. <laughs> By the way, I also have to say, I was listening to uh, Eric Erickson earlier today, and he, he of course, he, he needed to praise Joe Biden, but he's got to make a sandwich out of it. You can't praise Joe Biden while you're talking to conservative listeners. He was praising Joe Biden because Joe Biden is heading to Israel to meet with Benjamin Netanyahu, and of course, points out that uh, Biden and, and Bibi don't get along. They don't like each other at all. And of course, I'm sure there's some underlying blame that he'd like to uh, get Biden for that, instead of the fact that, you know what? Netanyahu's not even popular in Israel, so maybe it's not just Joe. But, of course, he had to, you know, make a crap sandwich out of the praise for Joe Biden by giving us some blame bread. Uh, how uh, letting Iran, <laughs> letting Iran in, in 2022 sell oil to the Chinese to bring the global oil price down was uh, what enriched Iran to spread the money around, of course, to give some to Hamas. <laughs> But back in 2022, you'll recall it was a lot of conservative politicians and pundits who were giving Joe Biden a hard time over the cost of oil and gas. So maybe we could even like extend the blame a little bit to the Eric Erickson's and the GOP politicians and pundits who were pinning blame erroneously, of course, on a president who we anybody with, uh, you know, Econ 101 time in high school and or college knows uh, a president really doesn't have that much of an impact on the cost of oil. And, of course, this farcical GOP wet dream of a uh, energy-independent U.S. by drill, baby, drill is an impossibility because the oil beneath us isn't even good for the engines that we sit in our traffic in using. So... Yeah, it all goes to the global market. It, we were talking about this with the pipeline, right? Oh, the the, the trans, uh, the, the the Keystone Pipe. That's Canadian shale coming over our air and water to head to global, uh, to, to to global market to be sludged together with all the other stuff. And 
We're contributing. We can't wall up what we have and use ourselves again because what we have ourselves is kind of useless for us. It has to be sludged into the global market and used wherever it can be used in exchange for the oil that we like you or our engines like using to come back here. It's it's part of a and, and again, no president has that much of an impact. Uh, but uh, again, that that's the, the the crap sandwich that Eric Erickson had to do in putting a little bit of praise on Joe Biden by also pointing out that, well, you know, it's because we opened up the global oil market for Iran in 2022. Don't forget the part that I was actually, uh, you know, pinning blame on him erroneously for the cost of a, a tank of gas. Uh, disregard that part. It's like the wizard with the, the curtains pulled back. Pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. Yeah. Um, just interesting to point that out. Anyway, yes, Joe is heading to see... BB face to face so that maybe he can make it pretty clear. Listen, the war crime stuff's got to stop, dude. Maybe that's just how you do it. You can't do this over a phone call. Sometimes, you know, you got to grab your keys and go down and talk to your boss, right? It can't be done over a phone call. You can't break up with somebody over a phone call. You got to go see them face to face. Not that I'm saying we're breaking up with Israel or anything like that. Just thought I'd point that out. More on show after this. The American One Radio app, AmericanRadio.com, wherever you podcast. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. And if you will, please indulge me. I'd appreciate it. I've been going through a lot the last couple of days, uh, and I don't like to whine or complain about everything going on in my life. But sometimes, you know, you just uh, you just need to let it out. I spent a good deal of time over the past weekend dealing with the worry of a friend who really didn't seem like himself when I first saw him Saturday morning. Being on the executive board for one of the softball leagues I play on, we wanted to have a presence at the Atlanta Pride Festival. We're always looking to recruit new players because, well, you know, power in numbers, uh, for one. Uh, For another, we uh, enjoy what we do so much, not just on the field, but off the field, growing our community. We like sharing that community feel with other LGBTQIA+. Uh, folks who may or may not enjoy the sport, but want to give it a try, and even have straight allies who play with us as well. So we're always looking for new players, folks who may have given up baseball or softball when they were kids, uh, peer pressure, didn't feel like they fit in because of their uh, underlying sexual orientation that they hadn't quite come to grips with. Ron, Stan, Leathers. Leathers, called him Leathers all the time. I called him Leathers because we had the same name. And we were briefly on the same team when I first started playing softball. Ron showed up Saturday to volunteer at our booth at Atlanta Pride. And he wasn't looking well. And Ron's got me by, I want to say like 12 to 15 years or something like that. I want to say I could be off. He's he, he's a bit older than I am, a little bit older than I am. But dude played like a teenager. I mean, he's slim, athletic, fast, agile. All of the adjectives that come with playing softball at a high level, he had them. And he was like the most gregarious guy you'd ever meet. He was kind of like a lab puppy. Always happy to see you. Let's go out in the field and run. Yeah, that was Ron. And uh, he showed up not really looking his best on Saturday, and I was a little concerned. Well, we lost Ron yesterday. And while he wasn't a super tall guy, I mean, he was about my height. Saying farewell to him still denotes the loss of a giant in uh, the Atlanta 
gay softball community, the Atlanta gay sports community, the gay community in general. And like many who knew him, I was personally made a better person through measures he'd say were no big deal, but made a lasting impact on me nonetheless. So I first met Ron showing up to play on a fall softball league team that was short on people and on talent, which is how I got on the roster. They needed people. They just needed people who could fog the mirror to show up on Saturdays to play. And I was like, hey, yeah, I'll do this. It was in the heart of COVID and we were all locked up and I wanted to get out and get some fresh air and some exercise and meet some people, network, et cetera, and so on. And so the opportunity came up and I uh, showed up uh, for a practice. He never once showed disappointment in any of the foibles of some of the newbies that were on that team. But instead, he just kept on encouraging us. He buried us in cheesy dugout cheers and chants. I mean, it's like he stole them from middle school girls softball teams and he brought them to the adult leagues. And he'd also even stay at practice late and hit fly balls until his back gave out to give this one late bloomer all the practice that that late bloomer sorely and surely needed. He dragged that guy around to meet lots of coaches of spring league teams towards the end of the fall season, encouraging that guy to just get on a roster. You'll love it, he'd say. Well, that guy was me. And he was right. I did. I mean, I do. And I owe the love I have for it in many ways to him. He even looped me in with the off-season players pickup game group chat. Heart of COVID, that was a big deal. Anyway, that enabled me to keep enjoying the game and getting better at it as well. I don't say it lightly, y'all. Getting looped into the local softball scene here in the LGBTQ plus community likely saved my life in one of my darkest chapters. It's going through divorce, career change, the pandemic, uh, the economy, finances, et cetera, and so on. It was just so much going on all at once for me. I needed something. And I didn't know I needed this, but I did. The hundreds of people that I get to play with and for and against, I know because of this one guy. All those good game daps and hugs, the travel tournaments I enjoy throughout the year, all because of this one guy. Saturday, he showed up to volunteer at our pride recruitment booth, and uh, I hadn't seen him that way ever before in my life. To me, he was always the most energetic guy for his age I'd ever known. And Saturday, he looked like somebody I truly worried for. So a few of us got together and convinced him to go get checked out at the first aid kiosk. Half an hour in the ambulance, I was encouraged to take him to an ER. In true Ron Leathers fashion, all he could think about as we were walking to my car was him getting well enough to play his nemesis, the Peacocks, next Saturday. And when I say nemesis, he, I'm, it's just, you know, they're, they're a really good team, and he just wanted to beat him. I waited while he got checked out and then was told he'd be staying overnight. I brought him an iPhone charger that I had in my backpack in the car for the weekend because I knew I was going to be away from home a lot. So I brought that in for him so he could stay in touch with people. And I could tell he was scared. He said as much. I assured him he'd be out in a day, two tops. And I told him to keep that phone charged so he could send me hot mail orderlies in scrub photos. It's noteworthy that in my three years knowing him, that it was just on that day, as I felt compelled to go try and salvage a business deal that was going south, as I left, I told him I loved him. I'd never said that to him before, but I also told him I'd see him no later the next Saturday. I won't get that encounter Saturday or ever again. 
and a roster, a dugout, an entire complex of fields, two leagues, and a nationwide organization of players who've met Ron over the years will feel a lot emptier going forward. And so, yeah, my heart hurts. Knowing Ron, he'd be embarrassed any of us are making such a fuss. As talented as a guy as he was on the field, he carried no ego on or off. His mid-game smokes and between and after-game beers were the stuff of legends because he was a legend. I'm going to miss his smile, his energy, and persistent encouragement dearly. Because of him, I'm not alone. And it's in my sense of loss that I know I'm not alone with those feelings either. He was a G-O-O-D-G-U-I. Good guy. Good guy. Thank you, Ron. That's it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the American One Radio app, AmericanOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Get more at RonShowATL.com.